in five, in four. Now, can you do it from ten? All right. Ten, <laughs> nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hello to everyone in the entire world. Uh, welcome back to List of Been Learned. My name is Matt Feuerstein, and I am so excited today because I have on a person who I have wanted to get Correct. on the show. Yes. That's all. Person <laughs> who wants to get on the show. Now, a person who I've wanted to get on the show since uh, June of 2014 when I first started List of Been Learned. A uh, good longtime friend of mine. Uh, an expert in many things, uh, not one of them not being wrestling, but an expert in many, many things. Just kidding. Um, he's not an expert in anything. Uh, the What's your title uh, at comicbookresources.com? Uh, Man- managing editor. The managing editor of comicbookresources.com, a big freaking deal. He could name drop a lot of people that he's talked to, and I'm sure he will. Uh, my good longtime <laughs> friend, Albert Ching. Albert, finally, welcome to oh, the Learn. Has it really been since June 2014? Yes, it's an wow. honest yes. That's uh, that's a, that was a great month. Mm. Uh, so, what did you do to celebrate your year and a half anniversary in December of 2015? I um, I uh, I uh, hmm, hmm, hmm. I was trying to think of anything noteworthy that I did in January of 2016. Well, 2015. Uh, you said you said my year and a half anniversary. Yeah, it would be December of 2015, right? Because that'd be a year and a half. Oh, oh, that's true. Okay, so what noteworthy things did I do in December of 2015? You Nothing. watched the movie The uh, Krampus with Adam Scott. I didn't. I didn't even watch that movie. Um, you watched. Uh, I, I saw Star Wars. You saw Star Wars: colon, The Force Awakens. I did. Uh, so there you go. That's what I did to celebrate my uh, eighteen month of anniversary or eighteen month anniversary uh, for Listem and Learn. But what did you think of BB-8? Wasn't he cute? <laughs> I hated him. Oh come on, he's adorable. Well, I shouldn't say he. There's no reason to assign any sort of gender to BB-8 for. Many reasons. <laughs> bring bring me back that Jar Jar Binks. That's my style. Oh yes, JJB. Mm-hmm. I was gonna call him JJB. You oh. stepped on my JJB line. See, that's like we're vibing already. That's yeah. how you can tell that we're uh, longtime close personal friends. Clo- dear close personal longtime friends, as Mean Gene Okerlund would say. Um, and I got Albert on the show to do a topic that I believe is well suited for both him and me. But more him, I'd say. And that is the top 10 stars or wrestlers in WWE history that have never held a WWE or World Heavyweight Championship. And the reason I say this is well-suited for Albert is, correct me if I'm wrong, Albert, but you have for a long time shown an affinity for the more unsung stars of WWE. Uh, Would that be fair to say? I'm a champion of the unchampion, sure. Um, But I will say in some ways... I think you screwed up by having me on the show, and I'm going to say that right at the beginning to make sure everyone gets excited to tune into the rest. Because you know, in, in the era of, of say the '80s WWF, and you know, even into the '90s, uh, early '90s, uh, I think the, the there's only one championship, obviously, and it didn't change hands all that much. So I think there were a lot of deserving people in that era who 
you know, never really got close to that. And then, of course, uh, I think starting in, you know, 2002 with two world championships and pretty much anyone who was remotely notable getting a shot at it, uh, a shot at having it, it's kind of, you know, skewed my view a little bit. I have included people from all eras attempting to be uh, comprehensive. So, you know, if you're thinking that I put Stevie Richards on this list, I resisted the temptation to do so. Nothing against his great work, but I was trying to look more, I guess, for people who could have been close of, of winning a championship at one point, if that makes sense. Not just people who I like, you know. Well, that's that's fair. Uh, I would say it's actually, if we did do it just the current era, which we didn't, but if we did, it probably would have been fun in its own way because there <laughs> were almost anyone who was deserving did did get a chance to hold one of the titles. It's actually really funny when you try to like find people who weren't champion and you really can't <laughs> find almost anyone of any kind of note that wasn't one of the two world champions. Um, so- yeah, there are people who were, but like it doesn't seem like it still. Like Dolph Ziggler, yeah. it seems like he's still waiting to get close to that, but I think he was – a uh, world champion at least once, if not twice. I know it was kind of wor- weird circumstances both times. Yeah, well, and, yeah. and um, and someone like someone like Jack Swagger, who you know, no offense to him, if he hadn't been champion, wouldn't be anywhere near this list. <laughs> Pro- probably even if it was just limited to the two thousands, right? Like he probably yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't even end up on the list. Um, so yeah, so it's yeah. So I also tried to do all errors, but I'm going to be honest, I didn't really go much past like. The Hogan era, um, okay. in terms of in terms of earliness, because you know I, I didn't really watch enough of like pre Hogan WWF or WWWF to to say for sure. Like maybe ten Ken Patera deserves a spot on the list. I don't know, but it, I, I didn't feel comfortable saying it. Ken Patera. If you're listening, we're not dissing you. No, we have nothing but faith in your abilities. We just don't have the right experience to speak on it with. Authority. Yeah, and Ken Pateri, if you are listening, I am dissing you for listening to this because I feel like you should be having better things to do with your life. Not the rest of you losers. Just kidding. All right. So that so you're ranking any possible listener of Listem and Learn as below Ken Patera in status. I don't think anyone listening would be offended by that. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I just you know, I just wanted to make sure it was clear. Where, where where we all rank in this ecosystem that you've devised? Yeah, I'm just I'm just another one of those sub Ken Patera listeners <laughs> who just <laughs> yeah, who hey. just does my own vanity project. Um, I also, even though he probably deserves inclusion on the list for his like merits as in terms of his contributions to WWE, I did not include Superfly Jimmy Snuka just because it makes me uncomfortable at this juncture to praise him. Uh, is that <laughs> fair all- to say? I think that's perfectly fair. I also – I didn't include people on the current roster who I, I feel have a reasonable choice of – chance of getting uh, the championship at some point like Dean Ambrose or Kevin Owens. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I didn't include them because I just don't think they've been around long enough to merit that. Um, sure. And just uh, – you know, I, I didn't really specify this to you but like at least from, from, from my own list, I – weighed only their WWF or WWE careers. So I didn't, for instance, look at a guy like Vader 
who right. had an amazing career and put him highly on the list because I don't think he did that much in WWF. So, or like a Frankie Kazarian. Yes, um, who was on Velocity for a month, a, undefeated a, in that time. AJ Styles, who's like one of the best wrestlers in the world that has been for a while, but barely has done anything in WWE, so I didn't include him. Yeah, but he he has uh, he has beat Chris Jericho twice. It's true, but so if, you know what? A lot of us have beaten Chris Jericho twice. He has ever. beaten Social Outcast member Curtis Axel. He has, and the Miz. A- absolutely. All right. So with the and by the way, the Miz, another guy who, if he had been eligible for the list, still would not have made the list, but he was not eligible. So, um, so this will be interesting. So I'm going to start with my number ten. Uh, if you let's hear it, if I'm excited for, for this. Yeah. All right. So my number, number 10, ten, one of the few guys who is from the uh, modern era, I guess, when there were two world championships, and that is Matt Hardy. Mm. Um. So I put Matt Hardy. He's uh, he's a guy who had a lot of longevity with the company. He never really got a main event run, but he was always one of those guys who was always more over than his push. And, you know, he had his ups and his downs, certainly. But at his peak, he was really entertaining in a variety of ways. He became a good character. He became a good promo. He had lots of good matches over the years in all of his incarnations, version 0.1 and version 1. And he, uh, and, you know, I think he's shown, even though this didn't really count toward toward his inclusion, and it would have happened anyway, he has shown after leaving WWE that he could be a big fish, albeit in a very small pond, and you know work as a main eventer. I think he could have done it in WWE at various points. Uh, they really dropped the ball with him when he came back after that whole Edge Lita thing in 2005. Um, I think he could have really had a lot of momentum at that point, and before that too. Um, but alas, he did not. But I think he's... His career is good enough, long enough, and his piece performed well enough that he deserves inclusion even at this low spot on the list. I don't so know. That means you're not counting his ECW championship run as a world title. You're right. I'm not counting it. I forgot. No, who, I forgot no. all the people who held that title. So if I'm so if I include anyone who did hold it, it was mostly by mistake. <laughs> but is, I, well, let me ask you: is, is Ezekiel Jackson on your list? Because if so, he's out of there. Uh, no, he's not okay. on my list. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have anything to say about Matt Hardy or, or, well, I guess I shouldn't spoil it, but are they, are you going to get to him later? Uh, I think Matt Hardy is a, a great pick. And I will say I was at, uh, the Raw in 2005 where they played his music and you thought he was going to be there and he wasn't. And it was very exciting. That does sound exciting. Um, yeah. except that he wasn't there. That was kind of <laughs> underwhelming. But at that point, like you know, once he showed we, up, though, it was actually less exciting. That, that it was close. You know what I mean? We didn't like it. It seemed kind of out of nowhere at that point. It seemed like something that we wanted to happen, but we didn't know if it. You know, so yeah. The the, the biggest thing that Matt Hardy um, did, like, to hurt his own candidacy, besides the booking and besides all of his like personal problems, was like when he came back in 2005. He gave this really crappy promo against Ed, saying that he wanted him to die in a car accident. And then Edge came back the week later and did such a mo- so much better of a promo that it almost turned Edge babyface, even in this scenario where people had been rooting for Matt Hardy for months when he was gone. But uh, they can't all be winners. Um, all right, Albert, let's hear your number 10. My number 10, there ain't no stopping him now. 
Shelton Benjamin. All right. He is also from uh, the era of two championships, uh, but I, I think he's definitely someone that WWE dropped the ball on. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, very good in the ring. Um, had a charisma about him. Maybe not the best on promos, but certainly a charismatic guy. And someone who, you know, people really wanted to get behind. I remember, you know, he won that uh, Taboo Tuesday fan voting, right, uh, against, I don't know, how many other people, which I think was legitimate. I think <laughs> so too, yeah. Chris Jericho acts like it's legitimate when he talks about it now. And uh, there, was like some, there was like some big name that he beat out in the voting, and I, I, I don't remember who it was. I'm going to say it was Batista. I don't know if that's correct or not. Um, it was someone on that level. And, yeah. Uh, I really think he's he's like a classic example of a guy that uh, should have gotten uh, to a bigger spot. And he always was kind of uh, in that, uh, I guess, you know, high mid card at best, a lot of times lower than that. You know, he was entertaining both as a singles wrestler and a tag team wrestler. And I, uh, you know, I think he, he's the guy that they should have gotten behind. And they really didn't seem to completely. Yeah, he is a guy who had a lot of like start and stop pushes. Um like that i mean he beat triple h on raw in 2004 and you know they they ended up you know stalling him in that situation then they really featured him a lot in early 2005 during the whole money in the bank period and he had that amazing match with Shawn michaels on raw and yeah and they you know they ended up stalling him on that so i uh he was one of the early examples of those start and stop pushes and eventually it started to hurt his performance too because you know just you know, sure. after years and years and years of, you know, getting like, you know, getting false hope and getting it snatched away from him, you know, eventually you just, you know, as as, as self-motivated as anyone can be, you're not going to, you're not going to be at your best forever uh, while you're waiting and waiting and waiting. So uh, unfortunately, that's all, there's a lot of unrealized potential there. I think even after he left WWE, I don't think he ever fully recovered from that kind of wasted potential and that wasted time period. Yeah, he could have been something you know pretty special, I think, but it didn't end up end up materializing. Um, I'm gonna go on to my number nine, and this sounds crazy low for this guy um, because he's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, bar none. Had an amazing career, you know, almost everywhere he went, uh, and that's Ricky Dragon Steamboat. Um, the only reason he's at number nine is because he was really only featured majorly in the WWF from like early 85 to mid 87. Then he left sort of for that kind of paternity leave period. He came back for a little while and then he ended up leaving right after WrestleMania four. And then when he came back in 91, it was as a total like preliminary guy. But during that two year run, he had a lot of memorable matches with guys like Bret Hart uh, memorable feuds with Jake Roberts and, of course, uh, Randy Savage, one of the greatest WWF matches ever and probably the best match that they had in the 1980s or at least in that H- Hogan period. So he certainly had a WWF career of note. Uh, it just wasn't – it didn't reach the levels that it should have reached um, given how amazing he was everywhere else. Um, how much Ricky Steamboat have you seen, Albert? Not very much, as you might guess. Um, I have watched. Uh, and by the way, mention like what your your wrestling like viewing history is, just so people sure. Are aware. I started watching wrestling in what is commonly referred to as the Attitude Era, 
um, right around uh, the rise of, you know, people like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Rocky the Rock Maivia. And so I haven't really seen a lot of Steamboat stuff. I have watched the match with Randy Savage from WrestleMania 3, and uh, it is very good. And, you know, I saw the match that he had with Chris Jericho when he came back in 2009. I thought that was crazy how how good he still was then, because at that point, I don't think he had wrestled for maybe 15 years or so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that was said, insane. Yeah, and th- those, years, That yeah. match was great. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I mean... I was shocked too, you know, and I'm someone who was a big fan of his for years. So, yeah, he was, uh, he's, uh, he's amazing. Uh, I, uh, it's, it's actually amazing to think how short his WWF run was and the impression he made during it definitely would have been higher if it was, if he had a longer run. Um, who is your number nine? Uh, my number nine could be a controversial choice. Um, but it's someone who also had uh, main event success, uh, you might say, as a big fish in a small pond. Uh, that would be Double J Jeff Jarrett. Oh wow! I, I yeah, I'm not. You know, it's it's for whatever reason that's someone I wouldn't have thought of, but I don't think it's a bad pick. Go ahead, uh, make your case. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, f- this is probably gonna you know make me seem like a. Uh, a real loser. I mean, I haven't seen that many Ricky Steamboat matches, but I have seen a lot of Jeff Jarrett matches. And, uh, you know, I, I think he was a guy who, you know, he, he always, you know, I know a lot of people don't like him, I think probably for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that he, in terms of matches, I always thought he, he had some very good matches, I think, in, uh, in TNA, certainly. Um, probably in WCW. I don't really remember. It's, I'd say it's possible. Uh, I, I thought he was, a, you know, he's, he's a charismatic guy. I thought he was good in promos. I thought he always had a, a pretty realized character in every incarnation that he had, which was a lot of different incarnations. And, you know, he, he reinvented himself a few different times. And, you know, even in WWF, towards the end of his run, I mean, he was obviously Intercontinental Champion and apparently, you know, uh, ransom them for money according to to wrestling history to lose it and he was certainly you know he was one of the uh you know featured acts not a main event act but a, but a featured act in, in a time when wrestling was getting very hot and i think he has a very interesting place in wrestling history certainly and uh yeah that's how uh that's where i'm gonna leave it on uh on double j yeah, he got he got over for sure like even during a really hot period and he had some great matches in the wwf too um, yeah. uh, at the second ever in your house in 95 him and Shawn michaels had one of the best wwf matches of that whole year and there were a bunch of really good matches in the wwf in 95 as bad as the product was in a lot of other ways um he was a consistent and solid wrestler um and he left the wwf shortly after that for a while but he, uh, yeah, no, he was, he was good. That's a, it's, it's an interesting and I think pretty good pick, um, especially when you factor in how over he got during the, uh, during that 1998-99 period, when you might not have expected someone like him to really work out that well. So that's well, when you've got a catchphrase like slap nuts. <laughs> Did he have that when he was in the WWF? Uh, I thought that's where it started. I don't. Remember. Maybe not. No way. Maybe not. I don't remember uh, that. He had, he had, hmm, I'll have to think about it. I think he had, did he, he had some catchphrase in that era or don't piss me off. That's what it was, <laughs> which is also great because it's, it's nice and direct. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like really establishes a mission statement right away of what you should not do to this man. Yeah, it's it's fairly close to my uh, desired wrestler catchphrase of "I'm going to beat you in the wrestling match that we have against each other." So you know, you also have "I'm going to hit you with my move." I'm going to hit you with my move. Yeah, Um, like but like my move like that. I'm going to hit you with my move. Um, So yeah, don't piss me off. I totally forgot about that. So thank you for reminding me. Um, all right, Jeff Jarrett's not on my list, but <laughs> but more like you know I definitely would have considered him if I thought about him more. Um, but my number eight um, goes back to another era, but actually a couple other eras. But this guy had a really long, really good run. Uh, had a lot of great matches in both tag teams and singles. Uh, main evented pay per views. You know, certainly somebody that is remembered very fondly, and that is uh, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. Um, you know, just, I mean, the British Bulldogs tag team, everybody who was watching during the period where they were at their peak remember them very fondly. They were kind of the uh, exciting, high-flying, or at the very least, like, agile tag team of their day. You know, had great matches with the Hearts, had great matches with the Dream Team. Um, you know, Dynamite Kid, Kid maybe was considered more of the memorable worker of the team, but Davy Boy was a great wrestler at that point, too. And then when he became a singles guy, he had a lot of great matches against Bret Hart. And, you know, Bret Hart says to this day that he was kind of carried that match, but still a really good match. Um, but and then he had another really great match against Bret a few years later. Um, really great match against Owen for the European title. Super memorable stuff with the Hart Foundation. Um, you know, he went to WCW and, you know, was an example of WCW really dropping the ball. Then he got hurt. And when he came back to the WWF a few years later, really nothing memorable happened. And then, of course, he, uh, you know, he died very tragically uh, young. But uh, his run was, I think, very memorable. I think everyone who was watching during that period remembers him fondly. And, you know, I think he just was an all-around really good performer. Never wasn't the best promo in the world, but I never remember thinking that he was bad at them. And his character, I think, held up as being, you know, just a character you could get behind, not somebody who you thought of as being this, you know, lousy or uncharismatic promo. He had charisma, had a good tag team with Owen Hart for a while. Um, I So I think that he's a pretty strong candidate for this list. Uh, what are your memories of Davy Boy Smith? Well, my main memories are from the era in which he came back to WWF and, and wrestled in jeans <laughs> instead of the the, you know, Union Jack tights. And, uh, you know, I think he sort of uh, didn't make much of an impact at that point in his career. And I also remember him um, in, uh, in WCW when I think he had less of an impact uh, than tag, tag team with uh, Jim Neidhart. So and how, many time, how many times were they even on TV? Like very few, I think. Yeah, I feel like they were mostly on like WCW Saturday night or Stuff. Yeah. Right. Like I don't. I don't understand what the uh, that. Yeah. Like I mean, we. You know, we've talked. Uh, you know, elsewhere about like how weird that era was in terms of how weird they handled Bret Hart, and obviously, I think they, you know, fell victim to that to a uh, you know to their own degree. Um, but you know, certainly I I know about Bulldog's place in wrestling history. I guess you know, in terms of the older WWF stuff, I'm more aware of, of him in a tag team. I haven't seen a lot of those singles matches, um, but they they sound cool. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I'd say you know he was one of like you know he was kind of like one of the great perennial like upper mid carters during that '90s era. Um, who'd you put for number eight? 
And I will also say, you know, he seems to this day very influential uh, in terms of some of the spots. Like the, you know, he was he the first guy or was the first guy maybe in, in, in American wrestling to do the kind of like delayed vertical suplex? Hmm. I'm, I'm going to guess not, but he's the first one I remember doing it as somebody who as a kid mainly watched the WWF. Like he probably popularized it among yeah. you know, yeah. this generation. Because, you know, you yeah. see that spot a lot still. I mean, you know, Michael Elgin does it and, uh, you know, uh, it's a cool spot. Um, and, and his power slam and stuff, you know, you see yeah. still. Yeah. Uh, well, my number eight is someone also from a similar era and someone who also uh, is no longer with us. That would be uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. I'm holding my thoughts because yeah, he, he's, cause he, show, he shows up higher on my list. But, uh, I could, no, but, I could, I, but I could talk about him now too, but go ahead. No, you know, why don't we, why don't we come back to him? When, you probably would have a little bit more to say than me, but uh, you know, I, I, I saw a good amount of his stuff. Obviously, a lot of it you know, towards the point of his career where you know, I guess – People weren't, uh, you know, where it wasn't the cre- the highlight of his uh, of his run. But you know, I you know, sort of saw a lot of him. Obviously, always saw that he was incredibly uh, talented. And you know, even uh, if I was watching towards the decline of his career, it certainly seemed like he, uh, you know, still had a lot to offer. But we can we can talk about him when, when we get to him on your list. Okay, fair enough. Um, my number six, uh, my number seven, excuse me. Then uh, is a guy who, um, if I could include his WCW run, he would be even higher. But I think even just based on what he did in WWF, his his run there was very memorable, and that's uh, Ravishing Rick Root. Um, and he, uh, you know, he didn't have this like huge list of great matches because not a lot of people did. But he was certainly one of the most memorable characters of that era. You know, his his entrance, his intro. He had a number of really good feuds. Uh, the one with the Warrior being, I think, the most memorable. He had two of the Warrior's best matches ever, especially the one at SummerSlam 89, which, you know, I didn't see till years later, and it was great. Um, he had a good, memorable feud with some really good angles with um, with Roddy Piper, and, of course, the feud with Jake Roberts over Jake Roberts' wife. He was just a super memorable staple of that time period. He was a great character, had worked really well with Bobby Heenan, who was his manager. And, um, you know, when he went on to WCW, he was, you know, in 92, he was just at a level beyond. Like, I, he was one of the best heels in the whole business at that point. And, you know, really changed his character into this real badass. And I don't think he ever quite got to that level in the WWF. But, you know, just a really great, memorable character who had good matches, uh, you know, could carry guys. Um, so I... Uh, you know, I think that he really left a strong impression. Have you seen any Rick Rude? Yeah, I saw him on a clip of uh, when he was on Regis and Kathy Lee, and I believe he had uh, uh, tights with Kathy Lee's face on it, and she, she was uh, horrified based <laughs> on the clip that I remember seeing. Uh, when what seemed like a genuine reaction. <laughs> um, but I have not seen very much from you know when I started watching wrestling, he was a, a, a he was a not wrestling at that point. He was. Uh, yeah, he was in the uh, you know first in DX and then in NWO. Famously appeared on Raw and Nitro on the same night. Um, so really, most of the stuff that I've seen him is uh, as when his work as a, a non wrestling uh, second. I think he uh, you know was associated with Kurt Henning for quite a bit in WCW in the nineteen ninety eight era. You're all I think old high school buddies. Well, I think that's great. Yeah, <laughs> Just... wouldn't that be fun to, to be? 
you know, doing wrestling fun stuff on TV with your high school buddy. I mean, come on, haven't we all dreamed of that for when we're in our forties? Yeah, well, <laughs> how old they were then. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, you have your um, you have your Edge and Christian, who are probably a slightly less sad uh, example of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, I mean, given some of the reviews of their new show, I don't know if it is less sad, but no, I'm kidding. Ooh, burn. They're great. Um, true enough. Uh, all right, who's your number seven? Okay, so for you know, for this spot, I wanted to reserve the spot for. Uh, I had two people in mind for this, uh, and they're both people who I hadn't um, really seen much of at all. <laughs> but okay. I know their profile in wrestling history, and I know that you know they're both guys. Like when I started getting into wrestling and kind of learning about history and hearing names and like their prominence of uh, in the certain eras, and I always thought it was weird that you know, this guy never was the champion. I was like, oh, this guy seemed like he would be the champion. So for my number seven pick, mainly based on profile, there's nothing against the man, but I'm not really basing it on anything I've seen or the quality of his matches. Number seven, I picked the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. All right. Let's hear it. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. Like, as a kid, or not a kid, because I started watching wrestling when I was, like, a, a teenager. But, like, you know, I would hear about him. And I always kind of knew about him anyway. You know what I mean? He's, like, one of those guys who was famous from that era. Um... Like, you know, Hogan and Savage and all those people. And I just kind of assumed, oh, he probably won the championship at some point. And then when I found that he never did. And then, you know, I mean, it seems like he had feuds, uh, you know, in the main event uh, over the title, right? And he was even a. He seems like he was a, a good wrestler. He was, uh, yeah, one of the best. And he. Yeah. Uh, and right? he, so he, he, he was actually announced at a couple of house shows as the champion, because I don't know if you know about the uh, the famous angle where Hogan lost the belt to Andre with the evil twin referee, and then Andre handed the belt to Jake uh, to a Million Dollar Man, as if the Million Dollar Man purchased mm. the belt from Andre. And then a few days later, Jack Tunney ruled that that was invalid, and you couldn't do that, and the title was vacant. So DiBiase was never technically the WWF champion, although he was introduced as the champion and had the belt at a couple of house shows between those two uh, TV shows. So... Uh, I'll, Ted DiBiase is still to come on my list, so I'll talk more about him shortly. Um, Excellent. Yes. Um, well, I feel good about my choice. Yes. Um, it's a very good choice. Um, my number six is uh, The Rocket, Owen Hart. Um, you know, it's just super beloved figure in WWF history, you know, associated with that, you know, mid-90s period, with, which was a down period, but he was one of the bright spots. You know, very fun. You know, not the world's best promo, but charismatic. You know, great wrestler. You know, main evented a few shows. Had one of the most memorable matches in the history of the company against Bret at WrestleMania 10. Then another really memorable, if, um, you know, kind of disputed uh, match against Bret at SummerSlam in the cage where people, people kind of dispute how good that match actually was. But all of us who saw it remember it very well. You know, great matches in tag teams, great matches... Uh, you know, against Davey Boy Smith, you know, great character work and, you know, just a super memorable figure during that time period, a guy that a lot of people lament, you know, obviously it was, you know, terribly sad that he died. I mean, I think he was only 34 when he died, which is, you know, pretty crazy. I mean, you know, it's crazy no matter what, but you know, that's only a couple years older than I am now, like about a year and a half older than I am now, which is amazing to think that his life was just about over at that point. Excuse me. But, 
but you know he was great while he was here and you know it would have been good if he was able to stick around and you know when the influx of you know great wrestlers you know the smaller workers came into the company about a year later um but for the time he was there he was great like i said one of the bright spots during a down period and um and yeah uh i am a huge fan of owen hart you've seen some owen hart i i imagine not only have I seen some Owen Hart, he is my number six pick as well. Oh, man. We are in agreement here. Uh, yes, I have seen Owen. You know, uh, he was he was one of my favorites when I started watching wrestling. Uh, you know, I don't know. He, he was he not even really doing anything that memorable. But uh, I just always thought he was cool. Uh, I, I liked his in-ring style. I mean, you know, you would know better than me. But to me, his, uh, his in-ring style feels... Like it was probably very influential to sort of uh, you know what was the kind of burgeoning uh, more cruiserweight type American cruiserweight indie style maybe a little bit of influence there. Yeah, I mean, and actually, you know, before his major WWF run, uh, he when he wrestled more you know overseas or in in for Stampede, he was more of a high flyer. And you know when he first was in the WWF as the Blue Blazer, he would he you know his he was kind of like a notable high flyer. He would do a you know kind of a moonsault into the ring, and I think he what he happened was he hurt his knee and kind of developed a more grounded you know finesse based technical style that I think most of us who watched him in the WWF came to know him for, and he was great at that too. And yeah, I would say there's there's definitely there's definitely a degree of influence that he had. You know there were a lot of guys around doing kind of similar stuff to what he did. You know, I think him and Benoit had an association going back a long time. I always would have liked to see him involved with Jericho in some way. I think they would have had really good chemistry either as opponents yeah, definitely. Or, or as a tag team even. I think that would have been really cool. But that didn't really end up happening. But 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 Owen, yeah, I would say, you know, I would say he definitely had an influence on people. And, you know, just a very beloved figure. It's, you know, it's just, it's super sad whenever you think about what happened to him. And the all the effects that that ended up having uh, uh, in the career of Bret Hart, even and a variety of things. Um, but yeah, um, Owen Hart was excellent. Um, do you have anything else to say about him, or should we move on to Numero uh, Cinco? Yeah, no, I I, uh, I think that covers it very well. But yeah, no, it was it was such a, a crazy thing. Obviously, what happened to him uh, Matt you know I, I wasn't watching pay-per-views and did you order that one is that something you watched live oh yeah I was um I was 15 that, that had to be insane because like I mean I like you know found out about it on the internet quickly after um which was which is weird but like to actually be watching that show on tv like just be like a 15 year old kid excited to watch pro wrestling on a on a Sunday evening and have that you know be the outcome is is pretty crazy yeah yeah we're we're the same age so we were both fifteen, and well, I don't know about that. No, <laughs> and age uh, out. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I was watching, and you know, there was a really good opener with um, D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry against X Pac and Kane, who were having really good matches at the time. And I was like, oh, that's one of the better tag team matches they've had in a while. And you know, then it was just really weird, um, you know, that they weren't showing the ring, and immediately. You know, when you heard Jim Ross talking about how something had gone horribly wrong with Owen Hart, um, yeah, there was no question in my mind that it was real. You know, I, di- I didn't doubt for a second, just because, they, like, again, they weren't showing the ring. This is not something that they usually did. Um, you know, basically just Jim Ross saying something has gone horribly wrong. And then there was just this weird pall over the rest of the show. You know, like, Jeff Jarrett and Deborah did a promo right after where they were basically about to break down and cry. 
Um, you know, but the the show had they had to just do the show and their matches and stuff. And then I forget. I think it was right before the second to last match or right before the last match. I don't remember which. Where they went to the crowd when they went excuse me, when they went to a shot of the announcers. And immediately I knew what they were going to say. Like I just had this sense and I jumped up and I turned off the TV. And my father, who uh, was watching with me, was like, you know, you know, maybe you should turn it on and see what they say. And so I turned it on and like right as I turned on the TV, you know, it was Jim Ross saying that Owen had died, which I yeah. fully expected him to say. And it was just like, yeah, it was just, you were numb. Like, you know, I think yeah. everyone was just numb. I, I you know, I, 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 you know, I wouldn't, I won't go as far as to say it was like traumatic for me, but you know, I'll never forget it. And, you know, it, it, and the thing is, it, it, something similar had happened not too long before that, um, wasn't quite that severe because it wasn't like a sudden thing that happened on the event, but, uh, October 97 before the bad blood pay-per-view during the countdown, the free for all show, Vince McMahon just got on the, on the screen and just said, Brian Pillman's died. Um, and like, so it was a kind of a similar feeling, you know, the Owen one was a little bit crazier. Owen was a bigger part of the show, and, you know, it happened at the event, Absolutely. and the wrestlers were numb to it. In 97, they really just did business as usual. Like, and it, you know, it just felt like a normal show. Like, that show is still kind of canon, whereas um, Over the Edge, you know, basically no one will ever want to watch that show ever again, and for good reason. Is that show even on the network? It is. Yeah, that's like, you know, I have that, sh- I still have the show on tape, and it's just something that, like, I'm afraid to even... Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, there's people who kind of question whether or not it should be on the network, and I can certainly understand why you question that. Yeah, I can understand why you'd question that. I can also understand why they include it, like, you know, yeah. it's part of history. I, I wouldn't, I don't necessarily think it's automatically disgusting, but... Right, and if they don't, they, you know, I mean, I'm sure there could be negative feedback if they didn't include it for whatever reason, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, it's a, it's, that's a tough call. I wouldn't want to make it. Um, all right, so my number five, uh, spoiler alert, the only other guy from the modern era, and that's William Regal. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and William Regal, uh, you know, he's had his ups and downs. Most of his time in the company, honestly, he's not been a featured guy. But, you know, you know that he's had a huge influence on a lot of the guys there as far as, you know, training and being a mentor. And... He's been consistently an incredibly entertaining character his entire time, and he's even had some great matches during his period. You know, I'd say his best years in the ring maybe were not when he was in WWE, but, you know, I mean, really good matches like on Velocity against against Benoit. Did he have a pay-per-view match against Benoit? I f- or maybe that was just Finley who did. But he had definitely mm. really good... The matches on, on TV where him and Benoit just, like, chopped each other in the, in the face, <laughs> and... Um, you know, his stuff with Eugene, as sad as that whole thing was, not sad in the same way Owen Hart's sad, but just sad as in, like, really lame. You know, uh, Regal was always entertaining. He had that amazing promo against Triple H. I don't know if you remember that, before Triple H destroyed him in that match, um, where he kind of, like, defended Eugene back in 2004. He had lots of great comedy segments over the years. Oh, yeah. um, the ones with Tajiri, I always... Uh, find very funny, although probably if I watched them now I might think they were racist, I don't know but um, I think that was even acknowledged a little bit at the time Yeah, from what I remember it. I mean, I don't know, I don't want to defend something I haven't seen in a long time either, but it always seemed more like the joke was on Regal than Tajiri, I guess, uh-huh. you know what I mean? If yeah. that makes sense 
And I mean, I, trust me, I, I think there were problematic things with Tajiri <laughs> that they did, but I don't remember it being the Regal stuff, but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, you're probably right. But, you know, Regal's just been, been, and he's still there. And he's, you know, he's been there for years. He was, he was great on commentary in NXT. You know, he's just great in any role they put him in. And, you know, he's been there now for so long, you know, good 16 years almost nonstop. And, you know, even if though he hasn't been featured on TV that whole time, he was there enough of the time. And when he's not on TV, he's done enough other stuff. And, you know, it's pretty remarkable that all that came after basically he was close to death from his, um, you know, from his, uh, his addiction problems. And he had, he's had this whole like great career there in a variety of ways. And I, and I do honestly think that at any point, if they had really gotten behind him, they could have built him up to be a, maybe not like a top guy, but certainly at a level where he could have been a believable world champion. So I feel like, you know, Regal is one of the, one of the greats, one of the all-time greats. And his WWF career has been good in its own, it's on its own right. So, um, uh, Albert, do you have uh, Regal on your list? I'm just going to say, I think that was the very smart choice. All right. Good. So who's your number five? My number five is Matt Hardy. All right. We've talked about him, but, you know, I, I've always been a Matt Hardy fan. Sometimes it's been kind of hard to be a Matt Hardy fan because he's seemed kind of in some ways self-destructive. Um, but it seems like he's in a much better place now, certainly. And, you know, I always, you know, maybe this kind of goes with me being, you know, a guy who kind of champions the, uh, the less popular choices uh, I always have liked Matt more than Jeff. I have nothing against Jeff, but I've always been more of a Matt Hardy fan. I always thought he just seemed a little bit more, uh, I don't know, there's something about him that connected with me more for whatever reason. And, you know, I sort of, you know, I, I thought he's always very entertaining as a heel. I think he's much better as a heel than a, uh, than a face. And obviously his, like, Matt Hardy version one stuff, you know, still stands out as one of the, the highlights of that, you know, I guess mid-2000s. Or was it a little earlier than that, early 2000s uh, yeah, period? like 0203. Like 0203, like yeah. And, uh, you know, that was definitely a time where it seemed like he was, uh, you know, heating up to a, a degree where he could have been in contention for, for something. And then, you know, uh, we talked about, you know, his leave and return. But, yeah, yeah, Matt Hardy, number five. All right. Um, very cool. And, you know, I would say for a lot of the time I also liked Matt Hardy better than Jeff. I thought, first of all, he seemed like a more complete wrestler – that's it, yeah. Um, That's, you know, I was going to use those exact words, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think Jeff caught up to him in some ways later on. You know, he developed that really charismatic persona. You know, he was became a really you know major top star in the WWE. He was a charismatic enigma. He was think. yeah an enigma who was charismatic, not a lunatic fringe, but a charismatic enigma. And um, so, so I think you know Jeff sort of caught up. But for a long time, I think Matt was clearly the better wrestler, even though Jeff was more dynamic, more spectacular in some ways. So Matt was sort of the guy who carried the team, um, uh, psychologically speaking, I guess. Um, I'm going to move on to my number four, who is Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I know you had, you had, had him up at numbers, number eight. Um, Mr. Perfect is just one of those iconic characters. And one of the guys that, during that period, was sort of carrying the work rate banner for the WWF. You know, he's like one of the, you know, he just, he looked like an athlete and he, you know, he was able to wrestle like an athlete at a time when a lot of the matches were big and lumbering in like that 1990 period, you know, and he was just like, 
you know, kind of like the finesse guy. And he had a lot of really memorable matches. You know, he had the, obviously the match with, um, with Bret Hart at SummerSlam 91 is a lot, of, a lot of people's favorites. Then even when he came back after his back injury, he had a bunch of really good matches. Um, the match, you know, he had another great match against Brett at the King of the Ring, which I might like even better. I think I do have, did have it higher on my list in the, my uh, best WWF matches of the '90s uh, episode. Um, you know, he had, you know, matches against Shawn Michaels. He had one really good one back when Shawn was in the Rockers on TV. Um, you know, he had good matches against, you know, Hogan on uh, on house shows and Saturday Night's main events. Um, you know, everyone just really fondly remembers Mr. Perfect. And I think more than anything, you know, he's a guy who kind of turned that intercontinental title back into the work rate title for a long time in the 90s after it had kind of not been that way because it was held by, you know, the Honky Tonk Man for a long time. It was held by the Ultimate Warrior for a while. And so, you know, Mr. Perfect kind of rebranded it back as the work rate title. And it kind of, it held that for a while after that because then it was, um... Then it was Brett who was the IC champion for a while. Then it was Shawn Michaels who was the IC champion for a while. So, you know, I think Mr. Perfect was, was really influential even in his way during that time period. And, he, you know, he was, he was the champion, the top guy in AWA before he came over. And I think he could have been a world champion in the WWF also. Probably was a little bit ahead of his time for that company. You know, you, brought, you put that Mr. Perfect into like 2000, 2001. I think, you know, he would have been in the Kurt Angle role probably. But, you know, by the time we got there, he was, you know, physically broken down in ways we probably didn't even totally realize. Um, but, you know, and, you know, an all-time great. Um, and I feel like he belongs in the top half of this list. Um, do you have anything more you want to say about him? Yeah, I think, you know, not only was he influential as a wrestler, but I think his his hairstyle has proven to be influential in the, the hair of uh, Dolph Ziggler. That's true, although Dolph never really quite got the braids. I mean, uh, Miss Henning never really quite got the braids there. No, but I do think it's a similar look. Yeah, no, no, there's definitely, I mean, there's a lot of similarities that people have noticed and I've noticed over the years between Dolph Ziggler and Kurt Hennig. For whatever reason, not as many uh, similarities between Mr. Perfect and Curtis Axel, but... <clears throat> and so it goes. Move-wise, I think they both... Uh, I think Curtis Axel has been known to utilize the perfect plex and the uh, the rolling neck snap. That's right. Doesn't do it with quite as much panache as his dad, but he has utilized it. No, that's a cool move, though. That is a really cool move, and Mr. Perfect did it perfectly. Um, who's your number four? My number four uh, is actually one of Kurt Henning's uh, old tag team partners. That would be... Uh, Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall. Hmm. Interesting. All right, go ahead. Talk about him. He's actually not on my list, although I did consider him. I'm, I, I'm surprised to hear that, maybe. Maybe not. But, uh, you know, I, I like Scott Hall a lot. Uh, I think he uh, obviously has a, uh, you know, very uh, important place in wrestling history. And he, you know, he, I, I have, you know, I've gone back and watched some of his old WBF matches. Um, and certainly, you know, the, obviously the latter matches are classics. And, you know, he also he always seemed like a guy who, who uh, you know, also had a, you know, like a very complete package in terms of, you know, character and uh, being able to get done in the ring. And, you know, the bulk of what I've seen, honestly, you know, as you might guess, is like the NWO stuff. 
in WCW. And, and you know, I, I, he's a guy that I, I gravitated towards very early when I started uh, watching that stuff. I always thought he seemed cool. Uh, you know, he's intriguing. And then, you know, I mean, kind of weird going back and, and watching after, you know, knowing him just as Scott Hall and basically being himself. And then going back, seeing him play this Razor Ramon character and, uh, and talking, talking that, uh, that Scarface accent and stuff like that. But obviously, you know, it seemed like he was, you know, obviously very good at that character. That's an iconic character. And, you know, of course, he had some great matches in that period, too. And um, so, yeah, so Scott Hall uh, is my, uh, my number four. Yeah, I, you know, I, I did consider him for whatever reason, you know, and Razor had a lot of really good matches. You know, he was certainly a memorable character. For whatever reason, he just never quite clicked with me, even at the time. He was never really one of my favorites. Um, I don't know what it was. I also, you know, never got super crazy about him in WCW. You know, certainly it was exciting when he came back, you know, as the invader and, you know, the NWO form. But Scott Hall was never the guy I really looked forward to, although I respect him as a talented wrestler. Um, but, you know, I certainly can't argue with that pick. He had a very noteworthy career there. He was an Intercontinental Champion for a long time. Like I said, had a lot of good matches at that level. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I'm sure if he had stuck around longer, he would have gotten a run on top. You know, yeah, that was back at like, the time yeah. when that was just back at the time when it was harder to get that run. But you know, he never he never was a WCW World Champion either. But uh, during that period, he also his uh, his personal problems became way more apparent to everybody. It was a rocky road for him, sure. Yes. Yeah, that has been well documented. Yeah, and, you know, who knows, if he hadn't had those problems, maybe he could have come back to the WWF during that, you know, post-WCW era and had a, you know, even better run than he ended up having, but it wasn't to be. But, you know, certainly not a, not a choice that I'll argue with. Um, I think we're ready for our top three, though. Um, top three? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna love my number three. <laughs> All right. I hope you love mine. Okay. Um, my number three is Jake the Snake Roberts. Um Jake the Snake, uh, you know, I mean, what can you say about him? One of the great promos in WWF history. Character that everyone remembers fondly. He was there for years, you know, had great feuds. You know, not the most great matches. He wasn't, you know, the best worker in the ring, but he had enough. I mean, but his promo stuff, you know, you know, even like you watch back like just the little like, you know, inset promos during like the squash matches. And they're just, you know, super watchable, super compelling character, you know, very, you know, as a character that a lot of people still talk about as being influential on promos, the kind of like that whisper thing that he did just really made him stand out. Everyone remembers the stuff with the snake. And then when he, then he, when he turned back heel, just, you know, he did a very short span, just a bunch of memorable stuff in a row. The, the stuff with The Undertaker, where he locked his hand in the casket right before he left. The stuff with Savage, with the, with the cobra biting Savage's arm. And, you know, the stuff with Elizabeth. Just incredibly memorable. Um, you know, amazing promo as a face and as a heel. You know, amazed, you know, and he was able to, you know, he was one of the most popular guys for years and was able to turn the crowd completely against him and become one of the most evil sons of bitches in the world. You know, great stuff against, um, against, um, Steamboat in early in his run where he did the DDT on the cement. You know, he, when he was a heel, he really was able to kind of, you know, very few wrestlers were able to do this, but like really be this embodiment of like the devil basically. And, you know, I think because there was that, you know, if you listen to him, like there was that level of darkness within him for real that was able to come out. But then as a face, he became just super someone that you really rooted for, you know, someone that seemed smarter than the other wrestlers. 
um, you know, one of the all-time great characters in wrestling history, and you know, just an essential component of what made the WWF fun during the late '80s and early '90s. Thoughts on Jake the Snake? Well, you know, he was the other guy that I had in mind for that spot that I I, I put Teddy Biasi at because my way of thinking was that I <laughs> I really haven't seen much of either of them, but I know how how great they both were and how how important uh, to to wrestling they were. So I I, I kind of coin flipped and went with Teddy Biasi, but no, certainly um, you know uh, everything you say uh, sounds great, and you know I, I've actually have seen. Jake the Snake Roberts wrestle live once in, of all places, a PWG show in 2011 that was part of the Wrestle Reunion uh, convention. So they had a bunch of, uh, of uh, old-time performers, and I saw him wrestle in a one-on-one match against Sin Bodhi, the former Kazarni, uh, at a, a, a Hilton by uh, LAX Airport. So that did happen. And how was that? <laughs> it was not great. Okay. It was a very weird show, and I just pulled up the uh, the results of it. I don't even remember like half of the stuff that happened. Like, uh, like Savio Vega was on the card. <laughs> uh, Shane Douglas, the Warlord. Uh, anyway, yeah. but uh, yeah, no, everything I've seen of of Jake Roberts, you know, certainly has uh, you know been impressive, and seems like he uh, you know was kind of ahead of his time in many ways, especially in terms of promos. Yeah, I mean, especially in terms of promos. We don't have to uh, mention or count his uh, his memorable promo at the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view, but um, so we will just not. Um, who's your number three? You said I'm going to love him. <laughs> or her? Uh, you know, I was thinking about putting a woman. Uh, yeah, uh, I did not. I did not. I did not. I did not specify that she that you could, they couldn't have been a divas champion. But it is, I guess, the world title. So for them. I'm going to guess you're going to be surprised at how high this person is. Number okay. three is someone who is on the current roster. Okay. And uh, but like I said, uh, you know, I don't want to put someone who I think realistically still has a, a, a shot at probably being a champion in the near future. This person, I do not think does. So you're already writing this person off. Well, I mean, mainly because of, you know, recent news of their own uh, career moves. Uh, my number three person is Wade Barrett. Okay. Um, I, think he, I think he's great. Uh, I, I thought they missed the boat with him for sure. I mean, you know, he had uh, many, I think, like main event shots against John Cena in circa, like, you know, the Nexus era. And obviously he lost every time. And... You know, I, I think they could have uh, done something with him then. Certainly, he's had some starting stop pushes, kind of like we were talking about with Sheldon Benjamin. Uh, you know, I think he's he's very solid in the ring. I think he's a great promo. Um, I think he's a guy that you know has has certainly you know languished languished for the last few years, and it seems like you know no matter how hot he gets, like I think it was after. Uh, like circa you know 2014 when he was you know the bad news character was was brand new and I remember he had like a match on the right after WrestleMania against Rey Mysterio he was the heel Rey Mysterio this beloved legendary face and people were were booing Rey Mysterio soundly because they they wanted to get behind Wade Barrett so much and uh, I I feel like he's a guy that uh, you know in terms of examples of people from you know the past 10 years that, you know, they really had a shot at making a, uh, a main event level guy with, and they, uh, they went in another direction. I think Wade Barrett is, uh, the top in that group. Yeah, that's, that's certainly an interesting pick. I wouldn't, wouldn't have thought of him. Um, 
he never really connected with me, but I do. I did always think he was a very good promo. That they and they never really took advantage of that in the way they should have, even despite the bad news stuff. Just because a lot of that scripting was pretty lame, yeah. As it is wont to be in the WWF, you know. Imagine if Jake, imagine if Jake the Snake had had to deal with um, <laughs> the current scripting, we probably would not be talking about him right now. And that goes for a lot of wrestlers, honestly. Um, and speaking of the different eras and how scripting might have ruined some things, uh, my number two is the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. And, uh, you know, another guy who's just, you know, one of the memorable characters in wrestling history. Um, I mean, just like everybody remembers the Million Dollar Man. You know, Ted DiBiase was like a really, you know, I would say close to legendarily great wrestler um, before he ever came to the WWF. You know, in his work in Mid-South and in Georgia and places like that. And then he comes to the WWF and he just... He becomes this persona that, you know, so many kids grow up on as, like, the ultimate villain. You know, buying the title, that that evil laugh, the million-dollar belt, you know, slapping Virgil around and getting his comeuppance. I mean, just, you know, an essential wrestling character. You know, basically, basically like the wrestler version of, like, a Vince McMahon or even a Donald Trump at the time. And he just played it perfectly. I mean, he just really, he really seemed like the part, even though he wasn't. You know, I mean, I guess he eventually became it, but you know, Ted DiBiase was a was a was a regional wrestler. He wasn't like this, you know, rich jet setter. And then, you know, if if you believe, you know, if you listen to what Ted DiBiase says, you know, about what happened to him when he became more famous, he sort of did become that guy. But when he started, he wasn't. He was just he was he was playing a character, and he did it so well. And he just looked the part. He sounded the part. And on top of all that, he was a great wrestler. I mean, in a lot of ways, he might have been the best you know worker they had for a while in terms of just like the the fundamentals, um, carrying guys. You know, him and Randy Savage had a world title feud that was probably that would have been unheard of just a year earlier when Hogan was dominating the world title scene for years and years. And you know, and, and Randy Savage and him were just tearing it up in. Uh, you know, in in world title matches at house shows, you know they weren't having the really long matches that the uh, that the NWA guys had, but they were having really good athletic matches. And you know, the fact that DiBiase was able to be up there and be that you know top heel for so long, really, I think helped out WWF in that period. Especially there was a period in '88 when Hogan was gone filming No Holds Holds Barred, and DiBiase and and Savage really carried the company. And they relied on DiBiase a lot for major angles for a few years after that. And even after he stopped wrestling, he was, you know, became maybe the main manager in the company. He didn't, there, were, there aren't too many memorable things that involved him as a manager, but he was, still, he was still someone who was relied upon. He was an announcer at various points. So I, um, so I feel like, you know, DiBiase is just, you know, easily belongs on that list. It's very surprising, actually, looking back that he never actually was the world champion. I know you already said your piece about about Ted DiBiase. Do you have anything else you want to add? If not, that's fine. Did the WWE miss the boat by not uh, referring to his son as the Billion Dollar Man? If if he could have played the part, like he was like if the Billion Dollar the time Man, they, they did do like a Million Dollar Man riff with him. Yeah, I even had the belt and. Virgil for a few weeks. <laughs> I didn't remember Virgil, but I do remember like, like I forget like what they what his music was, but it was something to do with money. I yeah, know. well, first he was like priceless, but then they they yeah. did do, like pretty much the exact same gimmick, but they should have upgraded it, and he should have been the billion dollar man. But I guess since Stephanie is the billion dollar princess, that might have been 
uh, too close. Well, there's been a lot of inflation. It could have been the trillion dollar man. Then yeah. no one would have been stepped on. No, that would be, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money. Um, all right. Who's your number two? My number two is uh, the leader of the Ruthless Roundtable, William Regal. All right. I don't know if you remember that there was a stable in the WWE version of ECW called the Ruthless Roundtable. No, I really probably almost never watched ECW. <laughs> I don't remember anything about it. It was him and Ezekiel Jackson and a third person who I can't remember right now. Um, but no, Regal is my number two. Uh, I've, I've, you know, I, I think you know, sort of what you were saying about him, just the fact that he has been in, I mean, he's obviously not an active competitor anymore, but he was, you know, uh, for so long, you know, he had so many years, it's actually kind of heightens it that it's kind of weird that he didn't get that shot. I remember, you know, he was getting kind of close to the main event circa 2008 uh, when he won the King of the Ring, and, and, you know, it looked like he things were finally heating up for him to that degree, and that's when he got uh, suspended for his second wellness policy violation, and then, you know, when he came back, he never quite was in that serious wrestler role again to that degree. But, yeah, you know, Regal is a guy who, yeah, is entertaining no matter what he does. You know, if it's comedy, if it's serious wrestling. And obviously he's done a lot of comedy in WWE, but, you know, he's usually excellent at it. And, you know, he's kind of in a great role now as being like the general manager of NXT. He, he's, he makes sense for that spot. And he, uh, he it's cool that he's still on TV after all these years and, it's cool that in real life, he seems like one of uh, Triple H's most trusted advisors in terms of recruitment of, uh, of talent. Um, and uh, yeah, Regal, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's a cool dude. Yeah, I, I, there's no, I can't imagine there's anyone who's been like a longtime follower of wrestling who doesn't love William Regal. He just seems great in pretty much every way. Yes, and the third member of the Ruthless Roundtable was Vladimir Kozlov. Thank you for that. What a stable that was. <laughs> oh, my God. They um, really targeted Christian uh, in his ECW championship in uh, circa 2009. Did they ever win it? Well, yeah. In the very last episode of, of ECW, Ezekiel Jackson beat Christian to win the championship on, oh. on the day that the title was retired. <laughs> That's a great distinction. I wonder what <laughs> Big Zeke's doing now. Well, he was, you know, he was a major part of Lucha Underground season one. Oh, okay. I didn't see. And I gotta, now I gotta be he's not on it anymore. And I don't know, uh, you know, there was talk that he was maybe going to retire. Um, but either way, he's not involved in season two. Sad. Um, or maybe happy for him. Who knows? Yeah, maybe he's doing something awesome. Yeah. I am going to guess, and maybe I'm wrong. I'm going to guess that we have the same number one. Yes, let's say it on three, okay? Right, I've done this before, one, just so you know. Just, uh, just, it wasn't two, your idea, but go ahead. So wait, count, start, the, start the count again. Okay, one, two, three, uh, Jerry Lynn. <laughs> I was trying to think of somebody who would have been funny to say, and you beat me to it, and that was pretty much excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, nothing against Jerry Lynn. It's just his time in uh, WWF was... You know, he, he didn't really... Uh, no, he was very short. He did very short-lived. And I don't think he... I, I'm pretty sure he was never on Raw once. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually true, but I don't, I don't think he was. He Maybe did, in, like, a Battle Royal or something. He might have done, like, a, a, a promo, like, like from WWF New York. I remember him famously <laughs> saying whoop-de-doo once, like, sarcastically. Do you remember that? Does that ring a bell to you? I don't, but I remember he was, he was definitely a, uh, a Sunday Night Heat guy yeah he was a light heavyweight champion right 
Oh, well, if he was like every champion, yeah, he was. He probably was on Raw at some point. So anyway, that's our countdown. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number one. Rowdy Roddy Piper? Hot Rod. Yeah. R.I.P. Yes. So, well, you know, Matt, you, you tell me. I mean, uh, why wasn't he champion? Because obviously that seems crazy, right? Knowing how important he was to that era. Was it just because... You know, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan was the champion for so long then that, you know, really he didn't get a shot or or what was it? Yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much it. He was he was the top heel and like he really helped make Hulk Hogan. He helped make WrestleMania, you know, just I mean, one of the reasons WWF was so popular during that time. And it was because during that era, you know, they were WWF was built on long term babyface champions who didn't lose. And in this case, it was Hulk Hogan. And so Hulk Hogan wasn't going to lose. And by the time Hulk Hogan was ready to lose, you know, Piper had already kind of had his run. And actually, Piper was not even in the company because he was in Hollywood at the moment that Hogan finally lost. And when Piper came back, he was a baby face and they were moving on to other things. And Piper was more in the mid card at that point. And he was, you know, entertaining there. He was also an announcer. He just wasn't given a full time spot at that point. And so he probably wasn't going to be the world champion during that era. But when he was at his peak, yeah, I mean, Hogan just wasn't going to lose the title. And Piper, you know, knowing that, just was very protective of his spot, and he never would do a job for Hogan. Um, but, you know, people don't really hold that against him, for whatever reason, because I think they kind of understand. And, you know, Piper's promos, I mean, I could I could stay up all night just watching YouTube videos of Roddy Piper promos. You know, he's just such a good character, such a good promo you know, he had a great run even before he ever went to the WWF also. But then when he got there, you know, he he was one of the guys who maybe didn't get as neutered as a lot of the guys did when they came to the WWF. You know, and a lot of his promos are kind of uncomfortable to watch now. You know, he definitely would hit on racist points when he would, you know, kind of goad Mr. T in his promos. And the, the, the weirdest part was that eventually the WWF fans got sick of Mr. T and started cheering Piper in spite of that, um, but but in but besides that, just you know, his promos are awesome. He was a template for a guy like Dean Ambrose, who was kind of like the unhinged, um, fiery babyface. You know, just kind of brawler. You know, he never really showed a lot of wrestling skills, at least not in his WWF matches. You know, he was just kind of a wild street fighter who was unpredictable, and you believed him, but you also really liked him. Like he was just. He always was able to portray the idea that he had a lot of guts and a lot of heart, even when he was a heel. And just, you know, everyone really respected him. And also, and I know this is, uh, this is something that uh, will give him great brownie points for you, is that when he was at his peak in the mid-'80s, man, what a handsome guy. <laughs> like, just... Um, I have to comment on, on, on Richie Steamboat's handsomeness. I might have actually already, but... Richie yeah. Steamboat also, obviously... Um, you know, but part of the reason he got a push early on was because he's so good looking. But Roddy Piper, I look at those pictures from like 1985, 86. I was like, that dude's a movie star. And he eventually didn't quite become a movie star, but he came pretty close, I guess. You know, they, they had a very memorable role. Obviously, they live. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a movie that people remember, not just wrestling fans. Certainly not. Yeah, that's certainly a it's a cult, cult classic. classic. Cult oh, yeah. classic. Yeah. So. You know, I think he could have done even more than that, you know, for whatever reason he didn't. But, 
you know, I mean, just who doesn't love Rowdy Roddy Piper? I, I, I can't imagine anyone. And, you know, it, it shouldn't be understated how pivotal he was. It's, you know, I mean, Hogan needed a foil, and Piper was perfect. And if you watch, like, before the war to settle the score, there was, like, a preview show that MTV did with, like, you know, the history leading up to the match and a lot of, like, famous rock stars of the time weighing in on the match. And they were all talking about Piper. You know, they weren't talking about Hogan. Piper was the was the hook for that whole feud with the rock and wrestling connection. And he was great at it. And, you know, he was a mainstream celebrity for a while. The way, you know, close to the way Hogan was. You know, he wasn't, like, the icon the way that Hogan was. But, you know, he he got a lot of buzz for the company. And I think they know it now. But at the time, I think he probably felt a little bit underappreciated. But Piper, you know, while maybe not being as important as Hogan, was very close. And, you know, during any other era, he would have been a multi-time world champion. He just happened to come at a time when the top babyface held the title for four, for over four years straight. So it wasn't going to happen. But, yeah, Roddy Piper's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, it all seemed to me that even though he's, of course, most remembered for that, you know, 80s era he also had the ability to kind of, you know, drop into la- later eras and also make an impact and and be relevant again. I, I mean, I know he had the the match at WrestleMania 12 with Goldust. I'm sure some of that buildup probably wasn't very politically correct either. But, <laughs> you know, from what I remember, that was a very memorable feud. And that was, you know, the kind of thing I... I, I and, you know, even obviously before I started watching wrestling seriously, you know, he, he was a guy I was always aware of. You know, I even remember when he came back in like 2003 and they were doing the stuff with like, you know, Sean O'Hare. Like, like he was still, he was very entertaining then, I thought, you know, and it, that was a different era. Then when he, um, when him and Ric Flair won the tag titles against the Spirit Squad, you know, I remember that that being fun. You know, he seemed like a guy who uh, who really could you know, uh, transcend eras in that way, which is hard to do, uh, you know, obviously for, uh, for anybody. And, you know, he's, he's had a, you know, he had a great legacy, uh, and he's, yeah, he's, he's probably one of the, the most famous wrestlers to people who don't watch wrestling. You know, he's probably up there, right. In the top five, at least still. Uh, Right. I, I would agree with that. Maybe not top five, but definitely top 10. And, um, you know, and it's funny, we talk about scripting and how that would have, like, made a lot of these characters irrelevant. And it's like, yeah, 1985 Roddy Piper would have been killed by scripting. But I think, you know, late 2000s Roddy Piper was greatly helped by it. Because if you listen to his promos from WCW and TNA when there was less scripting, not so good, Al. You know, like, it's a little <laughs> bit a little bit rambly and weird. But, you know, whenever he was in WWF, you know, what he, what he said would make sense. So... I um, so I you know I feel like you know he both both benefited from it later and would have been greatly hurt by it had it been around when he was coming up. He probably would never have been the star they ended up becoming. But man, was he good. Um, so uh, Albert, do you want to? Uh, I don't know if you have it handy. I do. If you don't, but do you want to run down your list one more time? I I sure I will. Uh, from ten to one. Yeah. Number ten, I've got uh, the gold standard, Shelton Benjamin. Now known as Shelton X Benjamin over in Japan. Number nine, I've got uh, uh, Mr. J E double F J A double R E double T. Number eight, uh, you know the man who once uh, tried to uh, take down Brock Lesnar on an airplane, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. Number seven, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Number six, Owen Hart. Number five, 
Matt Hardy. Number four, Razor Ramon slash Scott Hall. Number three, Wade Barrett slash Bad News Barrett slash King Barrett. Number two, William slash Stephen Regal, a real man's man. And number one, Rowdy Roddy Piper. All right, and I'll run down my list. Um, Number 10, Matt Hardy, versions one and other versions. Um, Number nine, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Number eight, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. Number seven, Ravishing Rick Rude. Number six, the King of Hearts, the Rocket, Owen Hart, um, the Blackheart, the Soul Survivor. Did he have any other nicknames? Um, <laughs> the Blue Blazer. Um, the number two five. Two time Slammy Award winning. Two time Slammy Award winning. Very good. Yes, good. Um, number five, uh, King William Regal. Ooh. Number four, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. Number three, Jake the Snake Roberts. Number two, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. And number one, Rowdy, Roddy Piper. Um, all right, so very good. I think our lists, you know, were different enough that it was interesting and, um, you know, similar enough that it was uninteresting. So it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, always, you can't make it too interesting, right? Yeah, that's, no, you don't wanna, that's a real problem. <laughs> you don't want to make it too interesting because then people might listen. Well, yeah. <laughs> But I know that you uh, helped out a lot. You were a gr- you were you're a great draw for the show, and you uh, you were an excellent guest that uh, I would love to have back on again in the not too distant future. Um, so we got to think of some more topics that we can do. Still, that non wrestling topic that I have teased for years. So I'm probably going to still bug you about that one, but we don't have to talk about it now. Have you done a non wrestling show yet? I did two at the very beginning. And how'd they go over? They were people. they they were good, but um, you know, it just people. felt like it was. It became you know the the people who listen to this, like the few people that listen to this, are wrestling fans and they want to hear wrestling podcasts. I feel like it's sort of a vanity project to do non wrestling stuff, and you know, it's hard to necessarily find guests that maybe would have the same ability to list things about not you know like you know we're all wrestling fans, all the people that I know who do podcasts, whereas. You know, I, what else? What else would I list? But this, this, this other topic I've been teasing for a long time, so I feel like we could do it, um, and I think there would be enough people that would want to hear it. So if you would be down with that, um, we'll talk about it off the air. But so I don't well, want to. We got it. Too we got to get the J man if we're going to do it. We do got to get the J man. You know what? I'm gonna. If, I'm gonna guess he's not going to be hard to pin down for that one. <laughs> um, gonna guess on that. So I think we're okay with that. But um, what I would like, Albert, is if you could. Do some plugs for your damn self. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I'll plug. I've been drinking a, uh, a can of Zevia, which is a, uh, a zero-calorie soda that's sweetened with stevia um, throughout this show. Uh, it's finished now. Um, you know, I did a, uh, a different uh, pro wrestling podcast last week, and I drank a LaCroix during it. So I'm just, I'm just switching up the zero-calorie carbonated beverages that uh, come in cans so it's it's good. I mean, you know, you think it would have like a gross aftertaste because you know you say, oh, you know, stevia that might be weird, but I, I think it tastes quite good. So I'll plug Zevia. Uh, I'm drinking the cola flavor, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Albert Xii. What do you think of uh, stevia in the raw? Mm, yeah, I'm worried it's going to have poison in it, right? Oh. From uh, that show. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> I like that it's in the raw, though. Yeah, I mean. Because they have the sugar in the raw, and I usually, you know, if I'm if I'm going to put sugar in something, <laughs> and I'm at like a plate, usually it's coffee. 
usually it's at a coffee shop and they have, you know, sugar, like, you know, whatever, normal sugar. And they have like sweet and low or whatever. And then they have sugar in the raw. Like, oh, I got to go sugar in the raw. Right. So, yeah. I don't know how much of a difference it makes for Stevia, but, you know, it, it sounds good. Should I name the show In the Raw or does that just sound not right? Uh, well, you know, raw is a, a, a term that's been heavily associated with pro wrestling for about 25 years. That's true. Uncooked. <laughs> uncut. This show is completely uncooked. Um, all right, uh, Albert, uh, I want to thank you again for being on. Uh, it was great, and I was really happy to have you. Um, I want to thank everyone else for listening. Um, Wait, what are your plugs, Matt? Say that again? What are your plugs? Um, well, I'm getting hair plugs. Um <laughs> Which is weird because you have such a wonderful head of hair as it is. So I guess you're just. <laughs> I'm gonna actually get them on like the front of my forehead. Uh, yeah, you're, where else are they gonna go? Yeah, so I'm gonna shave my eyebrows and get eyebrow hair plugs. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, and I will post pictures on my Instagram about that. Not gonna tell you what my Instagram is, but um. <laughs> I will post pictures of my eyebrow hair plugs on there. Um, so that's pretty much all I have to plug, though. Um, other than that, um, I have this podcast called List Them and Learn. I do episodes usually every month, so you could check that out. I'm going to have more coming up around WrestleMania season. Probably going to be on the Justin Shapiro show, but I haven't talked to him about that, so I'm really being completely presumptuous. I just always happen to be on at this time of the year. Um, I'm pushing him for an appearance uh, from me as well, so... All right. Well, I'd rather listen to you on it than be myself on it. So I hope that happens instead. Um, I'm a big fan of listening to the Justin Shapiro show, but doing podcasts is hard on my throat. Not really. Kind of. A little bit, maybe. Yeah, a little bit. No, it's not. It's not unhard. That's what she said. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you again, Albert, for being on the show. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to the Cubs fan, as always, for hosting this. Um, Until next time, read a damn book if you want to learn something. Bye.